Good morning again. All right. Good to see everybody this morning. Oh, how do you think about Ecclesiastes? Been kind of hard, hadn't it? Been kind of heavy, hasn't it? Ecclesiastes just continues to take the truths, the raw truths of life being very, very hard and very, very unknowable and thrust them in our face. Today's passage is the culmination of a long section in that regard. The question that I keep coming back to as I think about this passage and other passages like it are how do we react to this raw fatalism? There's some element of it that just seems very fatalistic. Many of you know, in addition to pastoring, I also am a basketball coach. And I had a different illustration prepared to kind of draw you in this morning, but yesterday one hit me so hard that I had to uh, share it with you. We were playing in a game yesterday, and suddenly the gym got very, very quiet. I didn't know what was happening. I was at the end of the bench. Happened on the far end of the court. The gym got very quiet. And I heard a young man cry out, Oh! Now, the back story is, is that somewhere about nine months ago, this young man tore his ACL. That's the ligament in his knee. He's a senior in high school. And he's worked very, very hard. My understanding is, I don't know the family. They're from Dayton, Ohio. He's worked very, very hard to get back on the floor. And in just some random play, playing defense, the injury or the uh, surgery failed. But at, the cry is one thing pain. A young 18 year old man in a quiet gym, which just before had been, can you imagine? Had just been allowed said a single word through tears. Can you guess the word? Why? I was just paralyzed. We all were. The gym was really, really quiet. Do you feel Ecclesiastes in that moment? <laughs> what is happening? What's going on? It hurts. I didn't get to see it, just uh, this is not part of my sermon. My wife told me that uh, she was able to be very close to that family right at that moment. The dad scooped him up. God's in control. I don't know why. There was no answer to the why. Do you get that? Not today. Not in this moment. A dad cradling his son. Look at me. God is in control. God is still in control. It moves me because I'm a dad. That part of it, it's so meaningful. That is the raw realism, fatalism of life under the sun. Apart from God, we don't understand. 
Well, it seems like every time I've been asked to preach in Ecclesiastes, I'm either at the beginning or the end of a section, and I'm either teeing it up or I'm putting a bow on it, as I like to say. And here in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, 1 through 6, it is the end of a large section, the second half of the book. Pastor Greg will begin the conclusion next week. It ranges from chapter 6, verse 10, all the way to eleven six. Two questions show us the big structure of this large portion of Ecclesiastes, and they both come in chapter 6, verse 12. I remember I actually preached that sermon. Who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? And who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? These two big questions were asked. Who knows what is good? And who can tell what's coming? I remember telling you that those questions were enigmatic and hard, and I I remember clearly the points of my sermon, that we are morally incapable of knowing what is actually good for us. Because we are tainted by sin and selfish. And we are perspectively bound by time, so we have no way of seeing the tapestry of God. We do not even understand what's coming, whether it be ultimately good for us or not. I remember Pastor Brian used the image of, of the tapestry in the loom and how in the front of the tapestry you can see, but on the back all you see are strings. And I remember saying, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm in the loom. There are also shuttles and needles coming at me every day. <laughs> we process this in real time. Who knows what's good and who can say what's coming? These were the questions asked at the beginning. Solomon's been asking these questions. The first question, who knows what is good for man, is answered in chapter 7 through the end of cha- uh, through 817. It's answered by this expression, listen to the words, cannot find out. Solomon told us again and again, you can't find out. Chapter 7, verse 4. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God made one as well as the other so that man may not find out. Anything that will be after him. 7.24, I remember Pastor Brian preaching this. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Man, the smartest man who was ever, the wisest man who was ever alive said, that's deep, very deep. (laughs) I can't figure it out. Chapter uh, 7, verse 28. This alone I found. God made man upright, but we have sought out many schemes. God tried to put this right. The only thing I know is that we are faulty not God. Can't find out, can't find out, can't find out. The second question in chapter 6, verse 12, who can tell man what's coming after him? Who knows the future? Who who can prepare you? Is answered from chapter 9, verse 1, all the way to this section, 11.6. Question reminds us that we don't know the future. And once again, there is an expression that helps us find the structure and theme of the passage. And this question is answered with the phrase, you cannot know. You cannot know. Listen again to some of the previous passages we have preached. Chapter 9, verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all. How the righteous and the wise in their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it's love or hate, man does not know. My son Elijah laughed when we read this passage together in our scripture reading, chapter 9, verse 5. For the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing. (laughs) Really profound. They have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. 9, verse 12. Man does not know his time. 
like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly comes upon them. Does not know, does not know, does not know. And then in the Proverbs last week, Pastor Brian shared a few of them. A fool multiplies words, though no one knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. People just want to sound like they know what's coming. They don't. Chapter 10, verse 15, the toil of a fool wearies him. He does not know the way to the city. Does not know, does not know, does not know. Well, that leads us right into our passage this morning, which uses the expression, you do not know, four times. This is the conclusion to this section, which is part of a larger section, answering the question, what's coming? What do you do about the fact that you don't know what's coming? Because you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. Do you feel it? All right, let's dive in then here a little bit. If you look at the passage, just structurally, there are four commands. Three or four, depends. Chapter 11, verse 1, cast your bread on the waters. Several of you have told me that the Imperials wrote a song about casting your bread on the waters. Give a portion, verse 2. See that command? Give. And then the last command is in verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning. He gives the same command a second time, so technically it's a fourth command. But then he says, and at evening, don't withhold your hand. So he gives the command positively and negatively. He says, sow your seed and don't stop sowing your seed. Okay, you see that? Okay. Also, he says, you do not know, I said four times. Look at uh, verse 2. Just giving you a quick overview here. We'll come back through the passage. You do not know what disaster may happen on earth. Boy, isn't that true? What kind of week did you have? If you had a great week, what do we always say? Well, just hang on. Next week's coming. (laughs) I know so many stories of people who just had gut punches. People who we don't know having tsunamis and volcanoes. I mean, just you do not No. Chapter 11, verse 5. You do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones and the wounds of of a woman, and you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Agree. I do not know. (laughs) And chapter 11, verse 6. You do not know what will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. If I were going to summarize that just a little bit, as we uh, try to get ourselves around the mind of Solomon, answering this big question, what's coming, and how do we do, well, how do we handle the unknown? I think verse 2 tells you, you don't know what's coming. Verse 5 tells you, you don't know what God is doing. And verse 6 is, you don't know what's going to prosper. I'm just, I'm not even, ver- I'm barely paraphrasing what the text says. That's what it says. So Solomon gives us commands in the face of uncertainty. The big takeaway here, if I can give you kind of a big idea, Solomon seems to say in this passage, you may not feel it yet because I have been kind of negative, but we're about to shift from that. Solomon says we should work optimistically and diligently despite our ignorance of the future. We should work optimistically and diligently despite our ignorance of the future. 
Therefore, our big takeaway from this passage is even though you don't know what God is doing and what God will prosper and what is coming, we should use every opportunity to work boldly and wisely for the kingdom of God. That is Solomon's summary here. Well, let's look at the passage. Six verses. The first thing I want to look at are the portraits of human response. The portraits of human response. Picture's worth a thousand words. And so we look at a few different kinds of ways. You imagine if you just live for a little while and you think, man, I don't know what's coming. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. I don't seem to have any control over this. It kind of reminds me of chapter 4, verse 5, where Solomon said, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Well, I, just, I guess I won't play. I'll take my toys and go home. That is not the advice Solomon's going to give us, and it's not the spirit and intent of this passage. At the very end of telling us, you don't know, Solomon is surprisingly upbeat. He's surprisingly optimistic. He's surprisingly adventurous. The first portrait of human response is the entrepreneurial investor. Chapter 11, verse 1. Cast your bread on the water, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on the earth. Well, we got, a, we got, old, we got uh, metaphors that are thousands of years old with pictures that we have to come to understand. If I took a loaf of Wonder Bread and reached into it and took a piece out and threw it in Sugar Creek, I would not find it again, would I? <laughs> it would absorb water, come apart. Now, this is what we're thinking more like pita bread, more like a hard crunch. I could, I could have brought like Frisbees, okay? So the idea here that if you were to toss those on the water, they'd float around for a little while like lily pads. And this was an idiom of the day uh, talking about um, some form of risk, Cast your bread on the water. You say, risk, what do you mean? You have bread. What can you do with bread? You can eat it. <laughs> it can serve you some purpose. Of what good is it to you if you cast it on the water? Have you lost some of the value of what you have? Yes, but what are you hoping for? That you would find it in many days. I'm still struggling to understand this metaphor. Most scholars view this as one of two things. One has, might have to do with generosity and giving to the poor. A little bit of risk to give your money away. You wonder how it's going to be spent. I'm not in that camp. I, 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 there is some evidence or some argument for that. But the, the broader thing has to do with shipping, of all things. Maritime shipping. In fact, King Solomon in chapter uh, uh, 10, verse 22 of the book of First Kings... Listen to this. The King Solomon had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet at Harem. And once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing, this is so funny, gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. <laughs> Might have been a menagerie in Jerusalem that day when the apes and peacocks show up. But uh, So there was this trade going on with other people. And the idea was, if I invest, if I strategically and wisely cast my bread on the water, I don't have the opportunity to find that in many days to come. In fact, verse 2 continues the idea. It describes what we would call in investing the principle of diversification. 
Give a portion to seven or even eight because you don't know what disaster may happen on the earth. If we were going to paraphrase that in American English, we would say don't put all your eggs in one basket. Now this is actually very, very profound because seven is the perfect number, if you will, in uh, the Hebrew. So when he says seven or eight, it's not literal at all. This is poetic language. So diversify your, your risk to the ultimate ability, seven, no, even eight. That's a little bit of a hyperbole if you can feel that. For you do not know what disaster may come on the earth. One of the commentators I read this week said, that's why you don't just send the Santa Maria. You send the Nina and the Pinta too. Okay, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. You, you diversify. So this, this idea of the entrepreneurial investor, the guy who says, I don't know what's coming. I'm going to make the most of it. We'll talk about this down the road just a little bit. But um, there's a danger here, a spiritual danger. And of course, we're not here to be Dave Ramsey and talk to you about investment advice. We have to think about this from a spiritual standpoint on Sunday morning and how this relates to the gospel. But there is a danger of self-sufficiency and self-reliance in that portrait. you feel that? I'm going to handle the risk myself. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to manage and diversify risk out of my life. Who's lived long enough to know that's not possible? And who's still trying? Fair enough, me too. I've never sought to invite pain and trial and tribulation into my life. It's just a part of life. This is one of the first portraits. The entrepreneurial investor. Cast your bread on the waters. You'll find it after many days. Diversify. You don't know what's coming. Yes, be prudent. Be wise. Just a week ago, Pastor Brian told us, wisdom is better than folly. Yes? Yes. The second portrait. Verses 3 and 4. The timid worrier. The timid worrier. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. Yes? Seeing a little bit this morning, full of snow. In uh, Israel, there's the early and late rains. They're fairly predictable, is my understanding. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. thought about asking Mark Kinney to come up and give a testimony about that. You know, saw the pictures on Facebook several months ago when he drove out to his family farm in Rushville and went into the house and a tree fell on his car. If I were doing PowerPoint this morning, some of you remember about four years ago, I could have had a picture of a nice tree across the back of my van. Tree falls. I tell you what, I've never tried to move a tree that fell. Where the tree falls, that's where it lies. Now, and, and think about this several thousand years ago. Chainsaws, I mean, how, how, what are we doing with the tree? There's an element of finality to this, right? It's going to rain <laughs> wherever the tree falls. I had to wrestle with this for a minute. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? You're getting firewood or is it in your way? It seems to be kind of a negative because of verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. The timid worrier. This guy has analysis paralysis. Have you ever heard that expression? 
He's studying so much, he's doing nothing. Again, remember the context. I don't know what's coming. Life is hard. It's coming at me fast. I can't find out what's good for me. I don't know the future. This guy over here, that he, he's doing all that business. That's not me. I'm not sowing. I'm not reaping. Friends, I'm not moving. You should go sow your seed. Well, wind might blow it away. I'm going to wait. Might rain right after I put it down. Tree might fall in my way. Just like the entrepreneurial investor has this danger of self-sufficiency and reliance on himself. The timid worrier also has some dangers. Fatalistic pessimism. No trust in the Lord. No hope in the kingdom of God. No belief in our heavenly Father that he is good to us. Dangers both ways. The commonality in the danger between the two is a focus on self. The entrepreneurial investor thinks, I will manage the risk out of my life. I will rely on me. I will get it done. The timid worrier says, I can't get anything done. I'm not capable. I'm not able. I'm inadequate. They're both wrong, aren't they? They both think too much of themselves. Well, those are the portraits. I'm going to come back to the passage just a little bit. Let's look at the advice. Advice from the preacher. What do we do? Well, there are four commands, as I said. So we'll start with that. Cast your bread on the water. This idea of bread is here, and then when you get down to verse 5 and, or verse 6, we're talking about sowing and planting. Portions in verse 2. The fact that there are so many commands in this passage lead me to think of it as optimistic. We do have a role to play. We'll talk about that a little bit more. So there's casting our bread on the water. We are to be active. Be thoughtful. Be adventurous. Be bold. Try something. Give a portion to seven or even eight. Well, don't be crazy. <laughs> Life's a lot about risk and reward, right? Quite a lot about risk and reward. One of the notes I had here, um, daring to take a risk doesn't only apply to sea trade. We all take risks in many areas of life. Students spend many years in college and universities play, preparing for their life's work. They take the risk there may not be a job opening in their field when they're ready. Writers spend many years writing a book. They take the risk that their work won't be published. It won't be well received. We take a risk when we buy a house, when we travel, when we try different foods, when we select a surgeon. We take a risk when we give money to the poor. I mean, life is full of risk, isn't it? And this whole idea, Solomon, is uh, its just so funny. The idolatry of wealth that he wants to confront. If I would forget this. How intensely personal your money is to you. 
and Solomon to conclude an intensely spiritual passage of, uh, of meaning of life. So let's talk about your wallet. <laughs> let's talk about how you think about money. No surprise there. What did Jesus say? No man can serve two masters. He will hate the one, despise the other, cling to the one, and avoid the other. You cannot serve both God and stuff. If I thought about that, then Solomon's comments make way more sense to me. Well, verse 5 and 6 really have a little bit more to do with the advice of the preacher. So let's dive in there. You see the two portraits? Solomon acknowledges them. He gets to verses 5 and 6 and says, Okay, let me give you some things to think about. It is true, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. What is he saying there? I think he's saying acknowledge your inadequacy Be truly humble. Understand it's okay. You don't know everything. And he could have said a million things I don't know. And maybe some of them I could have argued with him a little bit about. Well, I know part of that. I know a little bit about that. What? You don't know the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child? Yeah, you're right. I don't don't know that. Great humility. But he marries that with such great truth. He says, in the same way. You see the word so there? In the middle of the verse? So, in the same way, you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Oh, that's glorious. He introduces this idea of the creator. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. When I don't know what's coming, I know the God who's doing it. It's profound. I don't have to understand. Like that young man, I could look past what happened to the God who let it happen and understand I am incapable in this moment of knowing that this is good for me and I cannot ever see how fully good it will be for me. But if we believe in God, and he introduces this idea reintroduces it. One of the commentaries that we've been reading along with several others as we've been preparing for this uh, series and preaching it is called Rediscovering Eden. And remember that Genesis is all over, all over Ecclesiastes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the God who makes everything. And Pastor Greg will pick this up next week when he will say, remember your creator in the days of your youth before you grow old. And suddenly Solomon just wants us to fixate on this idea of God as our maker and creator that we could gain strength even in the face of the fact that we don't know certain things. God knows it all. Such similar language here. We don't know the way the spirit, the word for spirit is the word wind, the word breath. We don't know the way the breath, we don't, we don't know about the breath. What did Jesus say in John 3, uh, chapter 8? The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone born of the spirit. And I wonder if Jesus had this kind of language in his head when he was speaking to Nicodemus. 
and, and, and was just reminding him, you don't understand that. Yeah, I know, I slurred that. You all love it. Nicodemus, you know. You, I know how to say it. But that's horribly timed because I'm making a really good point. Um, I wonder if Jesus is thinking about that when he is talking to Nicodemus. Yeah, you cannot see the Spirit, but you can see the effects of the Spirit. And I don't know how the Spirit comes into the life of a baby. I'm going to have another grandson here real soon. So cool. My daughter-in-law lives in my basement with her husband. And I'm seeing this belly grow and grow. And just last night, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. But I can't see that. But I know it's happening. I'll see the effects real soon. So it is with the Spirit of God who makes everything. Be humble. Everyone thinks humility is a bad thing. Just be, be in your lane. It's okay. I've gotten on TikTok because kids are on TikTok. You shouldn't be on TikTok. Not my monkeys, not my circus. Not my monkeys, not my circus. Not my monkeys, not my circus. Stay in your lane. God is dealing with things beyond what you're dealing with. You do you. Don't do less than you. Cast your bread. Give a portion. Sow your seed. Stay in your lane. Stay out of God's lane. At least. What's first piece of advice? Be immensely humble. Understand your place in the it's okay. You don't know. Verse six. Be full of trust. I, asked, I labored with this. Be full of trust. I also wanted to say, be boldly adventurous. <laughs> I, it didn't sound spiritual enough for Sunday morning, but can you combine the two in your mind? You could be adventurous because you have trust in the Lord. In the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, withhold not your hand. Again, I, I, I take this to mean keep on sowing. Don't stop sowing. That sounds like a lot of work. For you do not know. Oh, here we go again. I'm so tired of this Solomon. I quoted five you do not knows already. There's four in my passage, and you're going to give it to me again. Listen, it's surprisingly optimistic. You don't know which one will prosper, this or that, the morning sowing or the evening sowing, or maybe both. <laughs> it's so cool. It's been such a negative, it hasn't just felt so negative. Solomon's like, hey, maybe it'll all work. And if we think about the things of the kingdom of God, won't they all work? Again, I'm not here to be Dave Ramsey this morning and talk about investments. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Sow your seed. This may have more of a material context. I understand that. There are certain things God is doing that will not fail. Some he will bless, some he won't. He blesses some relationships, others he shuts down. He blesses some business ventures, others he shuts down. I do not know but he prospers that which he will prosper. It's so optimistic. So who are you? Are you the, are you the bold investor? 
Are you the entrepreneurial investor? Is your glass half empty? I'm a glass full. Or are you the timid worrier? Are you suffering from analysis paralysis? Are you sitting around, I'm not doing anything, not going to work out. So your glass is half empty. You know that image, right? Well, don't read Psalm 23 where it tells us as Christians that all of our cups are overflowing. Those American images should not replace the image that God has given us. This is not the only place where it's surprisingly optimistic. Heavy, heavy teaching in the face of all the raw difficulties of life under the sun. But what has been shaping my faith as I've been reading the book of Ecclesiastes and listening to sermons is the optimism that appears and exists in the hearts of God's children in the midst of this raw realism and the struggles. Listen to Ecclesiastes 8.12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I know it will be well with those who fear God. There may be people cheating and lying along the way, but God will bless those who fear him. Ecclesiastes 8.15. Solomon says, so, after all of this, another section, so I suggest joy. For a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat and drink and be joyful. For that will go with him in his toil through all the days of his life that God's given under the sun. Have you been feeling these little nuggets? Yeah, it's hard, but Live! Embrace the Lord. Embrace his kingdom. Ecclesiastes 9, Pastor Brian said, Go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. God's approved what you do. Let your garments be white. Don't let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your life that he has given you under the sun. That is your portion and your toil in which you toil. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. These things we sometimes complain about, the work, the wife, the, the wool, the, the, the oil, all of it, these are the blessings of God in our lives for his joy and kingdom. I think maybe sometimes I've thought of God's sovereignty too fatalistically. And what I mean by that is I know God's in control. This is my attitude. He'll work everything out for everybody's good. And if that means I have to suffer and endure trials and difficulties in this life, I understand and I'm willing and submissive. But maybe sometimes I'm guilty of not combining that truth in my heart with the rich and wonderful knowledge that God is my loving Heavenly Father who wants what's best for me and does what's best for me. Amen? And, and, and maybe we just lean into one of those two camps a little too hard and I need to do a better job pulling those truths together. If God be for us, who can be against us? And I think maybe my heart sometimes forgets that God is for me. And he is. I invite the praise team back to the, the uh, platform. Boy, I'm struggling this morning. Just a final thought here. Why is the conclusion of this passage so much about money? And it's not just money. He doesn't actually use the word money. Cast your bread. Portion. Seed. But we get the image, right? We think about the idolatry of wealth here in America. 
It doesn't matter if it's money or chickens, pita bread or whatever it is that you trade in. You cannot serve both God and that. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, only with great difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of God. People see life through the lens of finances more than through the lens of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, and that's wrong. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And ultimately, he was speaking of himself, right? That he would die, be buried, rise again for the sins of humanity, that for all who believe in him would have the opportunity to see his kingdom. But we are so focused on the kingdom of this world that we don't do a good job often seeing the kingdom of God above that. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you love the baseball cards that are under your bed, then every once in a while you'll get them out and check them because where your treasure is, your attention, you're going to go. If you love that, whatever that is, your, your heart is drawn to your treasure, right? You're going to check it. You're going to value it. You're going to look in on it. What does it profit a man? Jesus said to the guy who said, well, I'll just keep building barns. I'll build some more barns. This life's going on forever. And I said to my soul, soul, you got goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. God said, you fool. You're dying tonight. And the things you prepared, who are they for? Does that sound like Ecclesiastes? I may have to leave them to a guy after me. <laughs> and who knows if he'll be a fool. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the... This, no, well, now I get why Solomon ended with the idolatry of wealth because it just goes right into all of our hearts and parses it right open and helps us see clearly. Father, may your word go deep into our hearts even deeper. This, this sowing that, uh, that you spoke about, real literal seed, Father, is being sown right now. I pray it would find good and fertile soil, grow and produce a great harvest. In Jesus' name, amen.